evidence and answers. When planning a party, we always keep in mind how much food we will need and how many people are coming. Well, you can imagine what took place in John chapter 6 when scripture tells us that Jesus fed the 5,000. That's 5,000 men. What about the women and children? Now to provide for that many, it's going to take a miracle. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will be sharing a message entitled, The Mega Meal, taken from John chapter 6. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. A story many of us are familiar with, John chapter 6. And I just came back from the Philippines where we had our first ever Evidence and Answers conference there in the Philippines. And I want to thank all of you who support us financially but also in prayer that you make this possible. So here at one of the finest churches, uh, Green Hills Christian Fellowship there, nearly a thousand people came to our first ever Apologetics Youth Conference. It was so encouraging to hear how many traveled 14, 15 hours just to be there that day for the Apologetics Conference. Greg Kokel, president of Stand to Reason and a good friend, joined me there in the Philippines. There are over a thousand people and it was so encouraging to hear how many listened to Evidence and Answers and came from so far just to be with us at that conference, thanking us for our presence there in the Philippines. And of course, after that, I'm teaching at the Word of Life Bible College. Beautiful, beautiful campus there in Laguna. There's the Bible Institute training uh, over 50 students from all over Asia, future leaders in ministry that will be going out throughout Asia to serve. On the weekends, I'm back in Manila. This time I was speaking at another youth conference and then a young adults conference. And then after my time there at Word of Life, we went up into the beautiful mountains, 16-hour drive up into Cabayan, uh, beautiful mountains up there where they actually grow a lot of coffee. So we had great coffee up there. But this is a remote location here in the Philippines. They practiced mummification until just about a few decades ago. And there was a great pastor's conference. Uh, close to 150 pastors and their wives attended. And of course, these men will go off and impact dozens, hundreds of lives for Christ. And I think it's highlighted at the end of the conference, one of the pastors stood up and said, this is the first time ever we had this kind of conference, and a speaker like Pat willing to come out here and speak to us. And he said, this costs us thousands of pesos to go to Manila to attend the conference. You know, but Pat came out here and we paid 100 pesos. 100 pesos to be here, $2 at this conference. And they're so grateful for the training that they had received. Many traveled 15, 16 hours, many by foot, just to be there. And so it's made possible because of your support that I can finance team and bring them resources and valuable training that they rarely get. So thank you for all of you who participate and support us in prayer and financial giving. Of course, the youth conference that Gary did, the lives that are touched wherever we go around the world, you're a part of it. It's not Pat by himself. It's because you pray and you support that all of this is possible. So we share in touching lives for Christ all over the world together. 
That's why I share this with you. All right, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story. May we learn the valuable lessons you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story many of you are familiar with. You know, I've worked in the fast food industry, and I see what a magnanimous task it is just to feed a few hundred people. I know there was a wedding here uh, not too long ago, and the massive amount of work it goes to host and feed a few hundred people. And I am a dishwasher at a prestigious restaurant in Wahiawa. <laughs> and I have received the honorary PhD, Piled High in Dishes Award there. I can see what massive amount of work goes into just feeding about a hundred people every day. And so this story, one that we are familiar with, but you can imagine feeding over 10,000 people the massive amount of work that goes into something like this is just absolutely breathtaking here. Now, this story takes place in the book of John, and the, book of, the outline of the book of John is quite simple. He begins with his thesis in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's his thesis that he's going to prove throughout the entire book, right? That here in Jesus Christ, you have God in the flesh. And from here to the end of the book, Everything that's written is to prove John 1, 1. And it culminates with Thomas's declaration in 2028, where Thomas, seeing the risen Christ, says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. And that's the same conclusion John wants you to come to, as Thomas did when you come to the end of the book. Now, in between chapters 1 and chapter 20, Jesus confirms that he is indeed the divine Son of God. He is God in the flesh through His ministry, through His teachings, through His miracles, and through His death and resurrection. He is indeed who He claimed to be, the divine Son of God, and John proves his thesis, verse 1-1, throughout the book. Now, throughout the book of John, Jesus claims to be God in the flesh. And this story is preceded in chapter 5, with the miraculous healing at the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus heals a lame man who had been crippled for years and says, take up your mat, walk, and go home. And instead of a cause of celebration for the great miracle that has occurred, a significant confrontation takes place between the angry religious leaders and Jesus Christ. Because Jesus told this man to pick up his mat and walk home on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders come to Jesus in chapter 5 and say, Who do you think you are? You, you think you're greater than the law? And Jesus says, Well, indeed, I am. And he says, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, he says, I am because I am Lord of the Sabbath. All right? He's claiming authority only God has. He's claiming authority over the law of God. And only God has that authority. And then he goes on to make some several profound statements in which he really claims to be the divine son of God. He says, my father is working, even on the Sabbath, and so am I. And the religious leaders are incensed because he's claiming a unique relationship with God, equality in nature with God. That's why they were so upset. And he doesn't stop there. In verse 21, he says, the authority to give eternal life is granted to me. Only God has authority over life. Only he can create and give eternal life. No one else has that authority. And Jesus says, that authority is mine. Then he says, one day 
there will be a judgment of all mankind, and that judgment will be under me. Well, only God is, you know, Jews understand, only God is the one who will judge all of mankind. And Jesus says, no, that authority is given to me. And then he says, because God and I have such a close relationship, the Father and I have such a close relationship, in verse 23, failure to honor the Son is failure to honor the Father. And then in verse 24, all Jews understand eternal life depends on how they respond to God's teachings. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me, he has eternal life. Jesus says, eternal life depends on how you respond to my teachings. Well, only God's word gives eternal life. And Jesus says, how you respond to my teachings will determine your eternal destiny. He's claiming the authority that only belongs to God. And Jesus demonstrates he is God through the miracles he does, demonstrating authority over every realm of creation. He has the right to say those things. Now, in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels. And this is the most massive miracle that Jesus performed. And in this story, his disciples come to a greater understanding of Jesus and his mission, and their faith is increased by what they witness. Now, the story has never been denied by skeptics or liberals, probably because of the massive nature of this miracle and just the massive number of witnesses who were there to witness this event. And Jesus was on a mission. He knew that he came to rescue humanity from sin and death, but he was also there to train up a group of disciples who needed to understand exactly who he was and would one day carry on his mission after his departure. And in this miracle, Jesus wants his disciples to gain a greater understanding of exactly who he is, that their faith may be strengthened, that they may trust him in ways they never have before because they have a mission to fulfill that he will give them in the last chapter of Matthew. So if they're really going to fulfill the mission that he will give, they will need a faith that is unshakable, built on an understanding of who Jesus is. And chapter 6 opens in verse 1 and says this, After Jesus went away to the other side of the Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing healing the sick. Now between chapter 5 and chapter 6, six months have gone by in which Jesus and his disciples have been ministering in northern Israel, an area called Galilee. And there Jesus has been teaching, preaching, and performing miracles throughout northern Israel. And it's at this time they're on the east side, and they're in a remote place. And verse 4 says, Now the feast of the Jews was at hand. Verse 2 says, Tremendous crowds were attracted to Jesus, because of the miracles he was doing. And on top of that, it's about the time of the Passover, and you have huge crowds making their way to Jerusalem. Okay, and they're following that route. And so here is a massive crowd around Jesus. And they're in a remote place, the text says. And Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, said to Philip, Where? Are we to buy bread so that these people 
may eat. He said this to test them, for he himself knew exactly what he would do. Jesus asks Philip what we call a rhetorical question. Where are we going to buy food to feed all these people? And he's bringing attention to the fact we have got an impossible situation here, folks. And John writes, he said this to test them. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And Philip responds, and he says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them just to get a little. Now, according to parallel stories in the Gospels, 200 denarii is about nine months of wages. All right? And Philip says, look, Jesus, nine months of wages can't even give these people a little cupcake. All right? I mean, he's telling you, just the hopelessness and the impossibility of the task in front of them. And it says here, Jesus was testing them. What was he looking to do? To embarrass them? To discourage them? He was looking for an opportunity to grow the faith of his disciples. You see, our faith is grown when we face these kinds of situations and we see a big, bigger picture of God that perhaps we have never seen before. And before this chapter, Jesus had done several miracles already. Chapter 1, he displayed omniscience, telling Nathaniel exactly what he was reading and thinking before they had ever met. John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. John chapter 4, he raised an official son. In John chapter 5, he crippled the lame man there at Bethesda. And for six months, he had been doing miracles around Galilee. So Philip should have understood and answered differently. He, if he really understood who Jesus was, he would have said, well, hey, you're the son of God. Go do your thing, man. But you see, Jesus knew his disciples still needed to grow in their faith and understanding of him and, and who he was. For the disciples would need an unshakable faith for the task that they would one day inherit. And so we too, as disciples of Christ, need a faith built on a solid trust in Jesus because we have a good understanding of who he is and what he has called us to do and the things that he is capable of. Now, in Mark 6.38, it says that Jesus sent his disciples into the crowd to see what was there. And according to this text here, his disciples go into the crowd. And Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother, returns and says to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Here, Andrew comes back to Jesus after a reconnaissance mission, searching through the crowd to see if there's any food out there, what's out there, and all he collects is five loaves and two fish. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have searched the crowd. I have looked throughout the crowd and all we got to feed 10,000 people is a happy meal. That is it. Jesus, this is all that we have. Okay? Now, when I was in high school and college, liberal Bible scholars teach that this was not a real miracle. What they teach is that Jesus had five loaves and two fish, and he began sharing it with people, and the people were so moved by Jesus sharing that they all took out their lunches and started sharing with each other. And in fact, when I was in the Philippines, a bunch of pastors were asking me this question. And I said, that's not what the text says. If you look at the text, the disciples had gone into the crowd and nobody had any food over there, all right? And Philip comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we have searched the crowd. All we got is 
a little happy meal here. There's no Pizza Hut we can call for delivery. We are in the middle of nowhere, Jesus, and all we got is five loaves and two fish. All right? This is a, a statement of desperation from Philip. In Sunday school, I was taught a different version that the disciples had come to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, look what we got, man. Five loaves and two fish. All right, do your thing now, man. That's not how it was. All right? They came to Jesus and said, Gee, this is all there is. Five loaves and two fish. Now you got to feed 10,000. And Jesus, this is all there is. It's a moment of desperation that Philip and Andrew and the disciples are standing before Jesus and saying, look, you sent us into the crowd. You told us feed this group. You sent us into the crowd. And here, here, man, this is all that we have. They are in a desperate plight here. And they're showing Jesus the impossibility of the situation. Now there's a whole purpose to this. That God tests us for a reason. To increase our understanding of him and thus strengthen our faith. You know, when I was uh, a young golfer, the pro teaching me at times would say, hey, let's go play a round of golf. Loser buys lunch. All right? And we'd go on a competition. Of course, he's going to demolish me. All right? And we're out there playing. Now, what's the whole point of testing me? Was it to humiliate me and embarrass me? No, it's, it's to refine my golf game, make me a much better golfer. Okay, when we're out there, he's watching my swing, and he's going, man, you're swinging way too hard. Here's what you got to do. And as we're playing, he's watching the decisions that I'm making, and he's saying, look, when you have a downhill lie, you aim way left because your ball is going to spin this way, all right, and go right. So you got to aim way left. Pat, when you're into the wind, you want to hit it here. You want to place your ball here. What's the purpose of this test, well, it's to show me my flaws, to help change my thinking, increase the understanding of the golf game, refine my golf game, and make me a better player. That's what Jesus is doing here, and that's what God does when he brings us to moments of testing where there's no one else. We're at the end of our line, and there's no one else to turn to but God himself. That's when he's going to give you a new understanding of who he is and it refines and strengthens your faith. You know, when you're playing piano, a good piano teacher maybe a month before the recital will say, play that piece, all right? And pretend you're in front of the audience. Okay? And of course, you're going to make mistakes. And the point is not to humiliate you, but the point is to refine your skills, make you better. Say, look, when you hit this part, and I know it's difficult, put your hands here. Move here. Start preparing by doing this. What's the whole point? Make you a better piano player. Refine your skills. That's what Jesus is doing here. That's what God does. That's why James 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. And the lesson we learn is this, that God brings us to moments when we are tested and we can only depend on him. And you find yourself in that situation, perhaps you're right in the middle of God's will. And the goal is not to embarrass or discourage, but to teach us, reveal new truths about God, and teach us to trust Him in greater ways than before. When you face impossible situations, that's when you trust God like never before, and you see Him do things 
and come to new understanding of him and your faith is refined and strengthened in greater ways. You know, when I was making a decision, I had resigned as a pastor and was it starting Evidence and Answers, an organization like this, or was it joining staff on another church? And I was talking to a couple pastors about it and they said, well, tell us about, you know, this position. I said, well, a stable job, salary, da 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 This other one, oh man, I have no clue what to expect. How am I going to get an income? I got to raise support. How am I going to get speaking engagements? What are we going to do? And they kind of smiled and said, which one is going to cause you to trust God in ways you never have before? I said, of course, starting this organization. And they said, that's where God wants you. You find yourself in these situations. Perhaps you're right in the middle of God's will. After testing their faith, Jesus then affirms their trust in him. In verses 10 through 13, he says, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in a place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now Matthew 14 tells us there are 5,000 men. Along with them were women and children. So it's probably more like the feeding of the 10,000 or perhaps more. And Jesus made the crowd sit in groups of 50 to 100 which made it easier to count and distribute food. And as they're sitting down, they're beginning to chat with one another, right? Hey, where are you from? Hey, I'm from Corazon. Did you graduate from that high school? Corazon High. Yeah, the warrior. That's us, man. Where'd you graduate from? Bethsaida, you know, the bread makers, whatever. All right, and they're beginning to talk, to getting to know each other. And then they start saying, you know, we're, it's dinner time. We're in a remote place here. You got any food? I go, no, I don't got any food. What about you? No, I don't have any. What about you? And the crowd begins to realize there is no food around. And there is no McDonald's or Pizza Hut they can call or run to. They're in the middle of nowhere. And they realize the situation that they're in. And it says here, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So Jesus blessed the food, and he sent his disciples out to distribute the food. Imagine the pathetic look on their face as there's 12 baskets here, and each one has a crumb in there. And he says, okay, go distribute the food, all right? And there's 10,000 people there, and the disciples are with a basket that has a crumb of fish, you know, and a crumb of bread. And they're like, Jesus, you serious? You got to be kidding me. He says, yeah, go. Go distribute the food, all right? And they go out, and suddenly Jesus has created food out of nothing. As they are going around passing food, people are picking up fish and bread. And it says here in the text, when they had as much as they wanted, when they had enough to eat, showing Jesus supplied more than enough. I mean, this is a massive, stunning amount of food that Jesus provided here. And then, if that weren't enough, when they had eaten their fill, when they were totally stuffed and full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments with leftover from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So when they went around, Jesus said, okay, now go back around and find all the bread, the loaves of bread out there that hasn't been touched and collect them. And they go out and they're picking up pieces of 
loaves of bread. First their baskets are a quarter full, then half full, three quarters full, then their baskets are full. Twelve baskets full. In other words, every disciple had a full basket. out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. And that's including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zucran. Evidence and Answers.